0: After completing a degree at the University of Chicago, Lauren Shockey took up a role in a public relations agency. But after just one year in the perdition of the corporate world, she quit her job and enrolled in the French Culinary Institute to start her training as a chef. She went on to take up internship roles in some of the world's most well-known restaurants in New York, Paris, Hanoi, and Tel Aviv. Her book, Four Kitchens, My Life Behind the Burner in New York, Hanoi, Tel Aviv, and Paris, chronicles her life as a chef's apprentice. Lauren has also written articles on food for The Village Voice, New York Times, and Atlantic Food Channel. So thanks for joining us today, Lauren. Thanks so much for having me. Now tell us, you decided to quit your job and then go off on this year-long adventure in four kitchens around the world, New York, Paris, Hanoi, Tel Aviv. But then you decided to write about it. What inspired you to write about it?
1: Um, Well, I'd always been interested in writing, and I'd done some food writing um, while I was in college and some freelancing after that. Um So writing was something that sort of always came naturally to me, and I was just so sort of fascinated by the overall kitchen experience. Um Working in a kitchen is just such a different environment from anyone who's had a desk job. You know, you're on your feet all day, and it's very fast-paced. And sort of thinking about that, I realized that if I was interested in it, I, I felt other people must have been too. Um So I pitched that idea as a book, and then that ended up working out.
0: And so when you came to that day when you were sitting in your cubicle in your PR job, what cracked Mm -hmm. it? What what made you just decide to chuck it in? Had you been thinking about it for a while? What was the turning point?
1: Sure. I mean, I think anyone who decides to leave their job must have been thinking about it for, you know, at least some point in time. And I just sort of been thinking about what I really enjoyed doing, um, which wasn't necessarily photocopying all day. Um, and what I really did love was cooking. And I figured, well, if cooking is what I really love, why don't I try and find a job where I can do that all day? Um, so I decided to apply to culinary school, and then I made the plunge.
0: Wow. And, and was, it was great. Was it yeah. scary or exciting? Or did how did it was you exciting. think exciting. How did you think you were going to support yourself?
1: Um, well, I saved up some money working, um, and then that was sort of how I helped pay for culinary school. Um, but yeah, I mean, it is sort of nerve-wracking to sort of leave a steady job with an income to then go to a point where you might not have a job, um, and especially with cooking, which doesn't pay as well. You know, most cooking jobs don't come with benefits yeah. or a full salary. You get paid about 9 $10 an hour but ultimately i i reasoned that i would rather take a risk and do something i love than regret having never taken that risk.
0: Mm, and how did you pick those four cities or restaurants i guess?
1: Well, i'm from new york city, so um the first restaurant I, where i worked wd50 is here and that was just sort of easier to um find a restaurant at home and the restaurant focuses on molecular gastronomy, which is a type of cooking that manipulates sort of flavors and te- textures and does sort of lots of foam and sort of crazy things. And I was really interested in that type of food, mostly because it's just a very cerebral type of cooking. Um, and there are not many places in the world, really, where you can learn that type of food. Um, so I knew I definitely wanted to be at WD-50 because it's really the only restaurant in New York City that does that kind of food. And from there, I went to Vietnam, and I chose that because, simply, I love Vietnamese food. Um, I'd actually never been to Vietnam at all, but there was just something about the country that really was attractive to me. And I sent a a letter um, to a chef, Didier Corlu, who's sort of the face of Vietnamese cuisine over there. And he said, yes, I could work in his restaurant. Um, So basically, I just bought an around-the-world ticket and said, okay, I'll meet you there on this day. And he was like, okay, sounds good.
0: (laughs) <laughs> Great. And
1: yeah, and then from there I went to Tel Aviv, uh, mostly because I'm Jewish, and I, I was interested in that idea of sort of a homeland. And I also wanted to pick a country where we might not associate it with being like a foodie place. Mm. So Vietnam and Paris, those are very sort of food-centric capitals. Um, but Tel Aviv you never really hear about when it comes to food, and I sort of wanted to understand what a place is like that has an emerging food culture. Um, and sort of figuring out what it wants to sort of be producing and sort of where its culinary vision is going. And then finally, I went to Paris, which just sort of made logical sense. Sort of how can you not talk about cooking and not go to Paris? Um, and so there I worked at Sandra's, which is sort of a two star Michelin restaurant, um, sort of oat gastronomy, sort of very sort of rigorous and. Old classic way of um, setting up a kitchen.
0: And did you know at the start that these were the four that you were going to do? Did you know that you were going to complete them in a year and and and, and, and then be done with it?
1: Yeah. Um, I, I got the book deal um, right at, sort of at the end of my New York experience. So that sort of helped me frame the rest of the book. Um, mm. I didn't really know what restaurants I'd be working at because sort of the nature of restaurant jobs um, it's not sort of like something where you could apply six months in advance. It would be very much sort of one month in advance. Mm. Um, so definitely I didn't have a restaurant in Paris until about two weeks before I got there. So that, that, that was nerve-wracking. It
0: was yeah. down to the wire. So you pitched this book before you went on your adventure, a bit like Elizabeth Gilbert did, and I'm sure you've heard the comparisons.
1: Had sure. you read yeah.
0: many books of that kind of genre? Um, I mean, I'd read her book,
1: um, and I'd read sort of like a year in Provence, um, so sort of those sorts of travelogues, and um, I wouldn't necessarily say that definitely inspired me. I definitely sort of wanted to do it because I was really interested in the types of food that I could learn around the world, and especially talking about food, um, it is so different from place to place. I was really interested in experiencing food culture sort of in the country of origin,
0: and so did you take notes as you went along, or did and did you write as you went along, mm-hmm. or did you wait till the end before putting pen to paper?
1: No, I definitely wrote as I went along. Um, I mean, I, I'm always a note taker, so for the first part, before I had a book deal, I just sort of had been taking notes about what restaurant life was like. Um, but then afterwards, I definitely did take notes, um, and specific notes, sort of every night after I got home from work, I would sit down at the computer and just sort of, go through the whole day's activities and trying to remember as much dialogue as possible. And then I had maybe like a two-week period between each country, Mm. and I spent that time trying to draft what might make um, sort of the bones of the book. And then, of course, when I got back at the end of the year, that was when I really went through and edited and sort of redrafted the whole thing.
0: So how long did it take when you got back to to whip it into shape?
1: Um, I would say about three to four months. And then Mm. we, with my editor and I, we probably did two months worth of editing.
0: Right. And did you think of the, did you decide early on on the structure of each adventure, so to speak, or did you kind of just let it all flow and see what happened?
1: Yeah. I mean, I kind of let it all flow just because, you know, when you're writing about your life, you can't really plan out your life and who you're going to meet and what adventures you might have. I knew sort of structurally I wanted to set it up um, with recipes at the end of each chapter um, because I knew I definitely wanted to have recipes in the book so that readers could experience sort of the foods and cultures I was talking about, um, not just by reading it, but also by sort of cooking and eating the same things that I was. Mm. Um, But other than that, it was pretty sort of I let things happen.
0: So did you find it a fairly easy process or was it difficult?
1: I mean, I I found the writing itself to be a fairly easy process. Um, I mean, it's definitely a long process, which is something that can be difficult. Um, I mean, the first day of work was back in February of 2009, and it just came out now in July of 2011. So it's sort of, I imagine it's sort of like having a baby like you're very excited for it but at the same time it's gestating so long that you're sort of like come on like let's let's come out already
0: <laughs> Now I I know you've also written articles on food for publications like The Village mm-hmm. Voice, New York Times, Slate, Atlantic Food Channel. Now did you start doing that before you went on your year-long sojourn or did you uh start doing that afterwards?
1: I had done a little bit um, beforehand. When I was in college, I interned for a food writer at the New York Times. Um, so I had a little bit of food writing experience before that. Um, and then sort of when I came back, um, after I'd written the book, actually, I saw a job opening at the Village Voice and applied for it um, as to be one of the restaurant critics. So that's actually what I'm doing now
0: well when you write when you are a restaurant mm-hmm. critic, the kind of writing that mm-hmm. you do there is very different to what's in the book, yes. which is memoir um yes. <clears throat> when do you find it um uh what do you do to try and differentiate you know your descriptions of flavors at different restaurants and and to make sure that it's a unique article each time mm-hmm
1: well, for one thing, just the word count is much different. For my uh, reviews, it's a 500-word limit um, usually. So those are that's quite short, whereas a book, you know, 500 words is only one page. Mm. Um, so you can definitely go into more detail in a book sort of talking about – you could talk about one dish for a whole page, whereas in a review you definitely have to do that in very sort of pithy short sentences. Mm. Um So I'd say it's sort of about capturing a glimpse rather than going really deep the way you could with a book.
0: So when you do your restaurant reviews, are you typically spending your time describing flavor, the cooking style, the overall experience? What do you think makes a good review?
1: I think definitely the overall experience, um, taking into consideration, obviously the food, which I feel should be first and foremost, but then also things sort of like the ambiance um, and even the simple question, would I want to go back here, why or why not, and how can I convey that to the reader without just saying, come back here.
0: <laughs> <laughs> now, <clears throat> do you think, um, well, I think that people are very mm-hmm. food obsessed and particularly yes. uh, you know, with restaurants but also with food writing. There's a lot of p- amateur food bloggers out there who uh, are starting to gain quite a following. What is this fascination with food and why do you think it's exploded in the last uh, few years, particularly with sh- television shows, MasterChef, Iron Chef, mm-hmm. Top right. Chef? Uh, <laughs> what What's going on?
1: I mean, I think it's just sort of a cultural turning point where it's something. food is something that we all experience every day, multiple times a day. And sort of with the Internet, I- you know sites like Yelp, and I don't know if you have um sort of similar sites in Australia where you can write reviews easily. And you know there was once a point where the only people who could write about food were maybe like five critics um, mm. by sort of the top papers, but it's much more of a democratic process now where everyone has a voice. And I think with that collective voice rising, it's also led to a greater collective interest.
0: Mm. And so, what are you writing on your next book now?
1: I don't have anything in the works. Um, I did really enjoy the book writing process. so You did or you
0: you didn't, sorry?
1: I did. Oh, you did. Mm -hmm. So I'm not quite sure what I'd want to do next. Um, So I I have some ideas, Mulling.
0: Do you think it will be a book? I mean, you you will write another book, or are you wondering about that as well?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think at some point, um, you know, I, I am still quite young, so. I imagine at some point in my life there would be another book. Um, I just don't really know when that would be. Mm. So and so, you have to stay tuned for that. Yeah.
0: When you did come back and you spent your mm-hmm. four months, you know, with your head down and actually mm-hmm. writing, how did you discipline yourself? Like what – describe to us your writing day. Did you, mm-hmm. you know, have a set routine or did you fit it around other things? How did that work?
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I definitely sort of had a routine. Um, I personally like to write in the morning, sort of between 9 a.m. and noon. I think that's when I get the most work done. Um, So I I went to the library a lot, um, just sort of where it was quiet and I would have no distractions. I would turn my Internet off and basically just sit down there and just plow through it. Um, Yeah, and I think, you know, having a good, comfortable office chair and just limiting the distractions um, Mm. is a big one. It's so easy to surf the web and, you know, 20 minutes later you're like, oh, where did that time go?
0: Definitely. And so you have a blog as well. Do you spend much time on it?
1: Um, Not really. The blog that's on my personal website um, is mostly just sort of links to stories that I've done or just sort of other interesting things um, that I have found related to food. But I do blog uh, daily for the newspaper, the Village Voice. Um, so for that, I actually have to do three stories a day. So that takes up most of my blogging time.
0: Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and so you must spend a lot of time visiting different restaurants. Do you go incognito? Do people know who you are?
1: I mean, my picture, having obviously having written the book and there's an author photo, um, mm-hmm. my picture is out there. I wouldn't necessarily say I've been identified. I do have a wig and I have fake glasses that I wear. <laughs> Um, so I, I mean, I do my best to stay under the radar. I would never make a reservation in my own name. Mm. Um, and I try and, I have a credit card with an alter ego, so <laughs> it's quite like a spy.
0: <laughs> that, that must be fun.
1: Yeah, it is fun. I guess I get a little nervous wearing the wig sometimes. Why is that? I feel people, well, I feel it's not a very good wig, so I feel people <laughs> might notice that's a wig, but. Probably not, actually,
0: have there been any obvious points where people have figured it out and you you've noticed the service change or something
1: no, i mean i've definitely I've been in a restaurant once or twice where people have said, "Oh, like weren't you here two weeks ago?" and in that instance, I might say, "Oh, I live around the corner, so I'm a big fan of the restaurant yeah. um, <laughs> but i wouldn't i from from what I can tell, I don't think I've ever been recognized.
0: What would your advice be, I know that there would be a lot of people listening to this who would love a job like that. They mm-hmm. might not have the time to take a year off and travel around right. the world, but they would mm-hmm. absolutely love to go to different restaurants to write about the experience. What would your advice be to how they can do that or what they should do to put themselves mm-hmm. in the best position to do that?
1: Sure. Sure. Well, I mean, what I did was called a stage, which is basically um, a culinary apprenticeship. And it's quite common in the restaurant world to do this. Um, And even high-level chefs do stages so they can learn maybe a different technique from other chefs. Um, So I would say if you have any interest, just ask a restaurant that you like if you could spend like one day a week in the kitchen working there for free. And the truth of the matter is most people aren't going to turn down free labor. Mm. Um, You know, you might have to be picking parsley for hours on end at the beginning. But, you know, that's what I did. Um, Mm. Someone in the restaurant world has to do it. And if you don't have as much experience, it's a good way to start off. And sort of once chefs see that you can master picking parsley, then, you know, you'll be given a task that is greater than that. Um, But I think really just most restaurants will be willing to let you in their kitchen if that's something you want. And I don't even think you need culinary school. Um, Most of the restaurants where I worked, the people hadn't gone to culinary school. And the thing is, if you work in a restaurant, they're going to teach you what they want you to do and how they want you to cut the carrots. It doesn't really matter if you know 10 different ways to cut carrots, if it's not that one way that they're doing it. It doesn't really matter.
0: But do you think that that is an important background to have to be able to be a restaurant critic?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I think it definitely helps um, understanding why certain foods taste good and why certain foods have been cooked properly versus things that haven't been cooked properly. Um, I know for my job, actually, um, it was, it was a, a requirement having been to culinary school. Right. So that was something that actually really surprised me. Mm-hmm. I, didn't, I didn't necessarily think it was a, a requisite for the job, but apparently my bosses did.
0: Mm, lucky you went. Yes. <laughs> What's your advice to people who are planning a big career change <laughs> and, and, and possibly, you know, ditching their cubicle job to, to, to do something completely different mm-hmm. like you?
1: Sure. I mean, I think one thing that is really helpful is to have a plan and have a plan to know how you're going to enact your plan. Um, so I'm very goal-oriented, so it was easy for me to say, I like cooking, I'm going to go to culinary school, I'm going to work in sort of, at WB 50 mm-hmm. So I had it all very lined out. I think what sort of stops people is they say, oh, I don't like my job, but I don't really know what to do or where I'm going to go. And I think sort of once you have a plan and you can see from point A to point B to then point C, that really helps things. Mm.
0: Tell us what you thought the best part of the book writing process was. Or, just yet that whole you know period mm-hmm. from
1: well, I guess seeing it in print
0: <laughs> <laughs> do you remember um, the the day that you saw the the final mm-hmm. book in print, do you remember where you were and what you were doing?
1: Well, my editor sent me a copy of the book um sort of maybe like a week or two before it came out, so that was very exciting, but I think probably the most exciting was when I saw it in a bookstore for the first time mm. and sort of realized that other people could actually purchase it then.
0: What kind of response um, have you
1: been getting from people? Um, well, I think it's been good. Um, I try not to read too much about it and to <laughs> obsessively Google search myself. Um, yeah, so I mean, I think I think people are enjoying it. And, you know, it's a very sort of relatable book. I think anyone who has had any sort of job that they didn't like will appreciate the aspect of following your passion and doing what you love. And to serve sort of anyone who has an interest in food, um, it really sort of goes into food cultures and sort of goes behind the scenes, which was something that I loved doing, sort mm. of meeting people in their restaurants and eating food with them in their country. I mean, that was just such a great experience that I think anyone would appreciate.
0: Mm. So paint us a picture in five years' time. What will Lauren be doing?
1: Oh, gosh, I don't know. <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, I, something related to food for sure. Um I'm not quite sure if it would be restaurant reviewing. Um, one thing that I really enjoyed about the book writing process was um, the recipe development and sort of figuring out how to adapt um, recipes from the restaurants where I worked to the home cook. Um, and sort of one sort of lesson that I came out from this book was that I really loved cooking at home and not so much cooking in the restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, there's definitely a great energy and sort of a fascination I have with restaurant cooking, but... What I really loved about cooking was sort of seeing people enjoy my food and sharing that experience together. Um, So I'd like to do something where I get to involve food and people and have them be happy.
0: (laughs) And finally, what are you cooking tonight?
1: Tonight, well I'm actually going out to dinner um for a review dinner, but obviously I can't say where. <laughs> yes. But hopefully it will be good.
0: And tell us then, if we were in New York, what would be the top three mm-hmm. restaurants you feel that we should go to?
1: The top three to go to. Um, well, right now the biggest restaurant um sort of that's been hyped this season is the Dutch, um, which is Andrew Carmelini's sort of American restaurant. But It's not really American in the way that you might think of burgers or something like that. It really sort of takes all sorts of different cultures. Um, There's some Mexican influences. There's some Japanese influences. um, And that's just been really sort of exciting to see. Um, And then one of my personal favorites is ABC Kitchen, um, which is sort of very vegetarian and locavore friendly. Um, They do serve meat, but a lot of the emphasis is on the vegetables. Um, They do a really nice roasted carrot salad, so I would definitely recommend that. Mm -hmm. And then, hmm, one restaurant that I found this year that I really liked um, was called Ron. and it was this really tiny 10-seat restaurant that served soba noodles. Um, So that's just nice if you want something off the beaten path.
0: Wonderful. Thanks for the tips, and on that note, thank thank you very much for your time today, Lauren.
1: Yeah, well, thanks so much for having me.
0: ValerieKoo.com. That's ValerieKoo, kho Thank you for listening.